some background as to kind of where we're heading, where the direction we're going this morning. Um, you know, since Grace House's inception, um, God has been uh, leading us on this journey. He's been teaching us. He's been leading us. He's been guiding us. Um, I think it was 2020. We really felt like God wanted us to just to take time to learn how to hear his voice and to be led and be guided by him. And, and um, we felt like at the start of 2021 that he was going to begin to teach us about community. And, um, <clears throat> and one of the things that's interesting about that is, you know, when you, when you say community, um, lots of people immediately have ideas spring to mind, you know, it's togetherness, it's people, it's all these sorts of things. And, but we just trusted that, that over the course of time, God would uh, teach us more and more about community and what it looks like in the church and what it looks like in his kingdom and the things that, that give us insights and, and understanding around the idea of community in the life of the church. And, and this morning, we're going to unpack one of those elements, one of those areas that we feel like God has, has shown us and taught us out of His Word uh, about community in the life of the church. And so that's kind of where we're going this morning. And so if, if you've got your Bibles open there to, to 2 Corinthians chapter 3, I'm going to, um, I'm going to read, start reading from verse 7. We're going to read it together, and then we're going to hopefully unpack a little bit about what Paul is saying. And so he says this, starting at verse 7. He says, Now, if the ministry that brought death, chiseled in letters on stones, came with glory, so that the Israelites were not able to gaze steadily at Moses' face because of its glory, which was set aside, how will the ministry of the Spirit not be more glorious? For if the ministry that brought condemnation had glory... The ministry that brings righteousness overflows with even more glory. In fact, what, has, what had been glorious is not glorious now by comparison because of the glory that surpasses it. For if what was set aside was glorious, what endures will be even more glorious. Since then we have such a hope, we act with great boldness. We are not like Moses who used to put a veil over his face to prevent the Israelites from gazing steadily until the end of the glory of what was being set aside, but their minds were hardened. For to this day, at the reading of the Old Covenant, the same veil remains. It is not lifted because it is set aside only in Christ. Yet still today, whenever Moses is read, a veil lies uh, whenever Moses is read, a veil lies over their hearts. But whenever a person turns to the Lord, the veil is removed. Now the Lord is the Spirit, and where the Spirit of the Lord is, there is freedom. And we all, with unveiled faces, are looking as in a mirror at the glory of the Lord and are being transformed into the same image from glory to glory. This is from the Lord, who is the Spirit." Everybody understand perfectly what's going on in that passage? Very straightforward, isn't it? You know, there's this old glory, there's this new glory, there's veils, there's the law, there's hardened hearts, there's unhardened hearts, all these sorts of things going on. To be honest with you, um, <clears throat> you know, we kind of get the glory to glory bit. We like that bit. Oh, that seems not, that's optimistic. You know, we're going from glory to glory. The whole bit leading up to it, though, if, you know, okay, maybe it's just me, for years, very confusing. Very confusing, but it looks on your faces, you might find, you might feel the same when we read this passage of Scripture. But what I think Paul is talking about here is something actually quite profound and significant about the revelation of, of Jesus Christ and what he's actually done in his church and in his kingdom as a result of his Holy Spirit. And so before we can get to that, I just want to kind of try and unpack a little bit about the background of like what Paul is actually referring to. You see, Paul's going all the way back to this story, this understanding of 
the, the, the history of God's people all the way back to the Jews and, 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 the, and the receiving of the law. <clears throat> and he's talking about this time when, when God's people gathered around Mount Sinai uh, were, were invited to be God's people. And as a result, God gave them his laws. He gave them, gave them his commands. And, and Moses was the one who was going up the mountain and receiving the commands and then coming down and, and delivering those, those commands to the people. And, and talks about this, this thing that was, this strange thing that was happening as Moses was doing it. Is that, is that whenever Moses would go and meet with the Lord, whether either on the mountain or in the tabernacle, he would come out and his face was shining. His face was shining because he had been with God face to face. And yet, for the Israelites, those who had not met with God face to face, they had not received the same revelation that Moses had. They they received his commands, but it just, it wasn't the same. Now, the scriptures talk about the law as coming with glory. It talks about the law as coming with glory, being this this good thing. And and when we look at at the law in regards to like the ancient Near East and, and just the revelation that it was for the people at the time. It, it came with a glory. It, it, it showed people something of God's heart towards humanity, something of God's heart towards the people, but it was never sufficient to actually produce goodness and righteousness in His people. Does that make sense? It was never sufficient to do what it is we had always, like, that, that God's people had always hoped it would do. And so that's why later on in the story, we have Paul the Apostle talking about the law as being the law was, was a guardian. The law was a schoolmaster. It was there to keep God's people hemmed in. It was there to keep them safe, hopefully, from the corruption of the world. If, if, they, simply, if they simply observed these commands and these laws, even though they might, they might not be transformed from the heart, they would at least be kept safe from the corruption of the world. And Paul talks about that there's this glory that comes with that. There's this, there's this uh, revelation that comes with this. But now, but now, Jesus has come. Jesus has brought this revelation and this revolution about how God's people interact with God. You see, in Hebrews 1, it talks about how, uh, you know, in times past, God spoke through prophets, but now he has spoken to us through his own son. There's, there's something about the revelation of Jesus that brings into clarity, that brings into perfection the revelation of the character of God. And for the purposes of what we're talking about here this morning, when I say glory, when I'm talking about the very glory of God, I believe one of the primary things we're talking about when we talk about the glory of God is the revelation of who God is, the revelation of his character. Are we we with that so far? That the glory of God being revealed is the revelation of God's character. And the clearest place we see the revelation of God's character is not in the law, even though there there was types and there was shadows of God's character there in the law. It's in the person of Jesus Christ where we see this most fully. We see this most clearly. And now we have come into this relationship with the Lord where we're no longer in a relationship with God being mediated through priests. We're no longer in a relationship with God being mediated through a law, but we are in a relationship with God being mediated by Himself, by His Spirit, 
who when we turn to the Lord, His Spirit comes and takes up residence in the hearts of His people. And so no longer do they simply look to external laws and commands, but the very Spirit of God resides within a man, resides within a woman. And the very Spirit of God instructs people's heart as to what faithfulness to God looks like in their various situations, in their, in their, in their various times and seasons. <clears throat> And so Paul will say that where this spirit is, there is freedom. There is freedom. Now, it's probably worth stopping for a moment and asking ourselves the question, what freedom is Paul talking about here? Well, I believe freedom here could mean multiple things. First thing that comes to mind is freedom from sin. That's, you know, the standard, you know, that's the Sunday school answer, right? We want to be free from sin. But given the context of what he's talking about, I think what he's talking about is a freedom from religiosity, Religiosity is that, is that part of us that just wants some rules to follow so that we can feel good about ourselves and our relationship with God. I know that I'm a Christian because I come to church regularly. Or I know that I'm a Christian because I don't swear. I know I'm a Christian because I don't drink. I'm, I, I know that I, I am saved because of X, Y, Z. I come from this family. My family's been in church however many years. I've been on a mission trip. I've been to Bible college. I've been to all sorts of things, different things we can sort of tally up, and depending on what tradition of the church you're in and what community of faith you're in, it's going to look different. Different people have different standards that, that of religiosity that develop over time. But Paul says that where the Spirit is, there is freedom from all of that. There is freedom from all of that. And that is what God is leading his people into. That is what God is leading Grace House into, is a freedom, a genuine freedom that doesn't look like wildness. It doesn't look like chaos. It doesn't look like anything goes, but what it looks like is a genuine freedom from religiosity, a genuine freedom to worship God in spirit and in truth, in whatever expression that takes welling up from the human heart. Now, as somebody who has come from a very conservative tradition, that freedom means there are going to be some times when there's some uncomfortableness, some uncomfortableness that happens when, when the Spirit of God rests upon people and they begin worshiping in the freedom that God has given them. But there is a genuine freedom, and we should feel free when the Spirit of the Lord is there. So freedom from outward religious observance, freedom from sin itself. Whereas God's people were hemmed in by the law in the past, now, we as God's people are led by His Spirit. And that Holy Spirit doesn't just lead us, but He transforms us. He transforms us. And this is the, this is the I, I think, the, the, the essence of what I really want to communicate and to, to, to put forward to you this morning about what it is that God is doing in our midst, what it is He is doing in the church, particularly in the West in this time. <clears throat> is he is renewing, he is renewing the revelation of his character. And one of the ways in which he is doing that, one of the ways in which he's doing that and bringing his people out of religiosity and bringing people out of merely an outward show of faith, one of the ways he's doing that is leading them into a revelation of his character and who he is to lead his people into true worship, into true faith, to true uh, obedience. And what that looks like in one sense is this, it looks like genuine community. Now, where did I get that from this verse? 
He says in verse 18, he says, We all, with unveiled faces, are looking as in a mirror at the glory of the Lord and are being transformed into the same image from glory to glory. This is from the Lord who is the Spirit. So, first thing he says is, we all. He's writing to the church. He's writing to those who are in Christ. And so if you are here this morning and you are in Christ, I think that you can feel free to add yourself and include yourself in the understanding of what is coming forth from this verse. He says, we all, as those who are in Christ, those who have received his Holy Spirit, as those who are now living as unveiled people, people who, who live with God face to face, without pretense, without show, we all, with unveiled faces, are looking as in a mirror at the glory of the Lord and are being transformed into the same image. I think one of the things that happens, one of the things that happens when we live in community is this. And here's what, here's what I notice happens in the church, right? So often, so often when we, when we think about salvation because we, we come from a Western tradition of individualism and all these sorts of things, we tend to view the faith as a very much an individualistic faith. And, and I'm not here to simply discredit that, only to say that that sometimes comes with baggage, unintended baggage, maybe some things, some ideas that are unhelpful for us, because <clears throat> often when we talk about, well, you know, what's my relationship with the Lord like, and am I going to make it to heaven? Am I going to be saved? And it's very much a personalized experience, so much so that nothing else can happen to anybody else around you, and that is enough, and that might be satisfying for many people. But, but the experience of God's people is, has been individual in one sense, but also a collective experience. It's been a collective experience in that when, people, when God's people gather together, they have God's glory being revealed in them as individuals. They have God's character being revealed in them by the Spirit. And the beautiful thing that begins to happen as God's people don't just approach God as individuals, but approach God as a community, is that we all begin to look around and we begin to see each other. And I begin to get a revelation, not just about what God's doing in my life, but I begin to get a revelation about what God's doing in your life, and in your life, and in your life. And I can then begin to see more of who God is by what's happening in your life, by the transformation that's taking place in you by His Spirit, the things He begins to convict you about he may very well start to convict me about this has happened this has happened so many times this has happened so many times it it it, it feels like it feels like the the way this verse was unlocked my understanding of this verse was unlocked for me was through experience it was through experience so many times so many times i would see god doing something maybe in tianus's heart and he'd start talking about it and all of a sudden, I would start feeling God do that same thing in my heart. Or God would be doing something in my wife's heart. And I begin to see that happening. And all of a sudden, God starts doing it in my heart. This, is, this has happened with other people when it, when it comes to, say, like dreaming, right? Because, you know, I'm, I'm quite a prolific dreamer. Um, 
And what was happening there for a while is that, is that whenever I would talk to anybody about dreams, about what God is speaking through dreams or, or anything, any of these things, all of a sudden people who, who claim to never dream would start dreaming. It's this, it's this weird phenomenon that when we begin to gather together, we begin to rub off on each other. Does that make sense? Have you experienced that? Where you begin to become like the people around you. What Paul, I believe, is saying here is that we, as God's people, as we are gathered together as this community of spirit-filled people whom the glory of the Lord is being revealed to, is that more and more we begin to see the very character and nature of God being revealed in the faces of those around us. And by that, we are looking in this mirror. We're seeing God. We're seeing God, taking, um, we're seeing God being revealed in each other. And in doing so, we be- begin to get transformed from glory to glory. As he's taking his people from, free- from freedom to freedom. As he's transforming us more and more into the same image to look more like Jesus. The perfect revelation of God's character. And so that's what God, I believe, is doing here in our midst. Is he's, he's calling us together. He's calling us together so that we can begin to rub off on each other more and more. It's going to be really important over the next however many years that we as God's people, particularly here at Grace House, begin to really get a revelation of what it means to live in community and just how essential it is to us and our Christian lives. Just how essential it is to us in walking with Jesus is that we walk with each other. Because His desire is to take us from glory to glory, but the reality is that the road to glory is never walked alone. Yes, people can be saved as individuals. I'm not denying that. But there is this greater reality that we as His people begin to lay hold of it and begin to see it and encourage it and and stoke it in other people. It begins to amplify and we go from glory to glory to glory. Last week, I had a detour um, and and I spoke about the fact that one of the things that God is wanting to do amongst his people is the healing of the generations um, between the older and the younger. And I don't want to correct that at all. Um, in fact, I want to lean into that. Um, I'm, going to share with you, um, I'm going to share with you a vision that, that um, God gave somebody here at the church um, maybe about 12 months ago um, after, after a service. And, and I'll, I'll try and convey the essence of the vision, though it wasn't my vision, so... Um, so hopefully, hopefully the essence of it can be conveyed. And, and the vision was this, is, is a vision that consisted of two warriors in full armor. One was an older warrior who had been through many battles and still had a desire to fight, but was visibly worn down. <clears throat> the other warrior was younger and had, and had just joined the battle. Um, and if I'm remembering um, how it was conveyed to me correctly, it was, it was apparent that the two needed each other. The two warriors needed each other. The younger needed the experience and the wisdom of the older warrior, and the older warrior needed the energy and vitality of the younger to encourage them to keep going. And in this way, the two warriors actually supported each other and made each other more effective in their fight. 
And this person said they felt like what God was saying is that, that God wants to bring together the older generation with the younger generation and that both are essential to what he's doing in the earth in these days. Both are essential to what he's doing in the earth in these days. And so I want to encourage us. I want to encourage us. If you're an older person, and I'm not even going to draw a line as to where that is, because I may not be very old. I've learned enough wisdom, though, to not draw that line very explicitly. There's some people who, who feel like they're very young, um, and there's some people who feel like they're very old, and whatever you feel is true for you. Um, <laughs> but if you're an older Christian, let's say you've been walking with the Lord for some time, I want to encourage you that there's younger Christians there's younger Christians who need you. They need you for wisdom and guidance and encouragement and support. They need you. There's a whole generation of people coming up who are fatherless. They need the older generation to come alongside them, to build them up, to encourage them, to support them, to impart wisdom, not lectures but gracious wisdom. And younger people, if you identify as younger, you need the older generation. I know that they've got no idea what you've gone through. And I know that they have no idea where the world is. But let me just go out on a limb and say that perhaps there's still some things that you could learn. There's still some wisdom that you could glean. That yes, the world has changed a lot in the last few years. But wisdom is one of those things that seems to be able to transcend time. Seems to be able to transcend eras. That's why we have Proverbs. That's why we have Ecclesiastes. That's why we have Job. Is <clears throat> because wisdom is timeless. True wisdom is not about rule following. True wisdom it gives you the discernment to be able to navigate a whole multitude of gray situations and find the way forward even in the midst of no clear option or direction forward. And, and young people, you need that. You need that. Young people, we do not know. Sorry, I realized I just put myself in that young people camp. Old people, old people, we know better than the young people. Cleared that up. <clears throat> Sorry, this is a lot of people. There's a lot of people who are um, older than me in years, and they refer to me as young. So I feel, I feel, I feel comfortable enough putting myself in that category. But we need each other. There needs to be a respect and an honor amongst the generations, and it's necessary for what God is doing, what He desires to do. In, in, in our midst. Because here's where he's going. Here's where I genuinely believe that God is going with his church. It's not to try and make us more successful as a church. It's not trying to make us have better programs or facilities or any of these sorts of things. Here's, here's, here's the essence of what I think that God is wanting to do in and through his church. And this transformation needs to happen first. You see, in, in 2 Corinthians 2, Paul has this verse Paul has this verse in verse 14. He says, But thanks be to God who always leads us in Christ's triumphal procession and through us spreads the aroma 
of the knowledge of Him in every place. Through us, He spreads the aroma of the knowledge of Him in every place. The reality is, is that the culture today is not really asking whether or not Christianity is true. They, from what I can gather, they mostly don't care. They're not looking for high philosophical arguments. They're not looking for proofs. Some are. But the culture at large is asking the question, is Christianity good? Is it good? When I think about my experience with people in the church, has it been a good experience? Have I felt loved? Have I felt cared for? Or have I felt judged? Have I felt ashamed? You know, as a pastor, often when I'm out, outside the church, I'll often, I won't mention what I do for a living. Because it, it immediately sets people at a distance from me. People could be swearing like sailors, and they find out I'm a pastor, and they're like, I am so sorry. I am so sorry. Oh, and they, you know, they start self-flagellating. Because it's, it's... that's what people think Christians are like. People think that Christians are always there to just pick them up on the stuff they're doing wrong. <clears throat> but God's desire for His church is that we would once again become the aroma of the knowledge of Him to people who are dying in this world. He has given us life, genuine life. He himself is the very source of life, and when we come into Jesus, he begins to pour it out into our hearts. He begins to give it to us by his grace, and it begins to transform us into, into people who not only live out of true life, but are able to then impart and, and teach others how to live true life as well. But it's got to look good to people. It's got to actually be good to people. And in order for that to happen, we need to change. We need to be transformed. There's a whole generation of people who come from broken families. They need a church that looks like family. They need a church who can pick them up and help them get back on their feet and show them the love and the care that God always desired for them to have within the context of their family. But in order for that to happen, that needs to take place in us first so that the very aroma of Him, the very knowledge of Him, can waft into every situation that we walk into. You know, <clears throat> as God's been transforming my life, those of you who've known me for maybe more than five years will know how much God has changed my life in the last, just the last five years alone. I've been walking with Jesus since 2004, and the last five years alone have seen such a rapid acceleration of just the, just the depth of the conviction of sin and the transformation that He's doing in my life as He teaches me more about who He is and how He desires me to live in this world. And one of the things, that, is, is, this is going to seem dumb, but one of the things that I feel like, as a, as a Christian, I've, I felt like the need to start doing is walk around with a smile wherever I go. It's not a religious thing to put on you. But when you walk around the shops, notice how many people are miserable. Notice how many people are just walking around with that thousand, thousand yard stare. Just deadness in their eyes. You can see it on some people. They're having a miserable day. 
And part of me just wants to bring some light into the world. Now, you can't just stop everybody on the street and go, hey, hey, smile. <laughs> Jesus is alive. Well, maybe you can. Maybe you're, maybe you're the person with that personality who can carry that off. <laughs> but I try and smile because, because God has made my heart happy. And I want wherever I go, even if they don't know that I'm a Christian, I want at the very least for it to smell like God was here. Smell like his character was here with kindness and goodness. Now, my wife tells me I need to work on my smile. Um, so for, for <clears throat> just for example, this is what smiling ear to ear feels like for me. I'm walking around, and I'm happy as Larry, you know. I'm just... And she tells me that's not a smile. <laughs> but I've seen my toothy smile, and I'm trying to go more for more Jesus-y rather than psychopath. So I'm, just, I'm, just, I'm trying to like not walk around going like this. Hi. Have you met Jesus? <laughs> I imagine that would be upsetting for people. <laughs> But the point of it is this, is I feel this burden that whenever I come across somebody, whether I'm paying for petrol, when I'm passing somebody, even just passing somebody in the street, I want them to feel the warmth of Jesus. Even if there is no opportunity to have a conversation, to speak into their lives, I want them to feel the warmth of Jesus. I want them to feel God's presence coming from me. I want them to know, I want them to know, I want them to know. Because here's the thing that happens as God begins to transform your life, as he saves you and transforms you, is more and more you get a revelation of the genuine goodness of God. That he's genuinely good. And that he's genuinely good for other people. That it's not just an ascent to truth. It's not just an ascent to some system of being saved, but it's an experience of the living God who has given life to his people. And I want other people to see it and to know it and experience. I want, I want people to come into that life themselves and begin to get transformed by it. <clears throat> and as his people more and more are transformed into his glory, evangelism is going to become the most natural thing in the world. We want others to know. See, the thing is, like, you know, sometimes we can evangelize out of wrong, but we can evangelize out of duty. And there's nothing technically wrong with evangelizing out of duty, right? But there's a difference when you evangelize out of the wellspring of your heart. When you want to speak to somebody about Jesus, not because you know it's probably just a good thing for you to do. But you want to speak to somebody about Jesus because the very love of God has taken up residence in your heart. And it's just like you just can't help yourself. You can't help yourself but just want to express love to that person. You just want to express the goodness of God to that person. And evangelism just becomes the most natural thing in the world when it comes from that place. God wants his church to grow. He wants more people to come to a revelation of the truth. But this journey that God is taking us on is so that he can bring us to that place.
And that's going to happen in community. It's going to happen in community as we get to see in each other the glory of the Lord being revealed more and more and more. I'm going to invite the worship team back. And I just want to leave you with one last encouragement as they come. Please, don't just walk away from here and feel like that's nice. That's a good idea. Please be deliberate in responding to that. Please be deliberate in going, looking across the people here, the people who are part of this church, the people who you know in your lives, who are walking with Jesus and go, how can I start? Where do I start? Ask the Lord, who do you want me to build relationship with? If you're an older person, who do you want me to sow into? Who do you want me to to come alongside and encourage and build up? As I can tell you, older generation, there's gifts and abilities and experiences and wisdom that God has given to you that he wants to pass down. He wants to pass it down. And in order for that to happen, there has to be that relational connection. It doesn't just happen by magic. And younger people, there's things that God wants to give you. They're going to come from the older generation. They're going to be passed down to you. But you need to honor the mothers and fathers in the faith so that those things can be passed down. So I'm going to pray. If you could just stand worship the Lord Lord we Holy Spirit we pray that you would unite our hearts together that you would knit us together in your love that you would help us to overcome generational barriers and generational gaps that you would stir up in each and every single one of us a desire to know others and be known to be people who live with unveiled faces, not only before you as we behold your glory, but that as we see each other and see your glory being manifest in other people's lives, take us from glory to glory, lead us into greater freedom, and let us lead a whole host of this generation into your freedom, God.